0: The Double Doink Podcast is officially sponsored by Manscaped. Fresh ball fall is upon us, and you need to be in the festive spirit. Light a candle, get some pumpkin spice, and make sure your balls look nice with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Nature may clear the leaves off the trees, but you'll need Manscaped's help to get you ready for the sweater weather. Get your pants puppies prepared for cuffing season with trim as refreshing as a ball breeze by going to manscaped.com and using code DOINK for 20% off everything plus free shipping. It's time for nice flannels and cozy socks, but we can't forget to trim our balls. By now, you've heard of them, but it's time to join the nine million men worldwide who use Manscaped and get the kit that covers it all—the Performance Package 4.0. It starts the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with advanced skin-safe technology that reduces nicks and cuts to make the raking of the leaves a lot less painful. Once you've cleared the driveway, the Performance Package comes in hot with products to cool you down: the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner—one to prevent stink and one to clear it up. With a soothing aloe vera formula, move over pumpkin spice. Fresh balls are the smell of the season. The Performance Package 4.0 caps it off with two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. That's one to hold your Manscaped goodies and one to hold your man goodies. Bring in the fall right and get 20% off and free shipping with code DOINK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code DOINK. As the leaves fall, make sure you have it all. With Manscapes. And welcome back to another episode of Double Doing Podcast. My name is Brendan Deke. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Really, really cool episode for you. I'm really excited to have Ricky Williams. He is a Heisman Trophy winner. He is a first team All Pro 2002 Pro Bowl running back. And he is now the founder of Heisman. You know his name. No introduction. Ricky Williams with me. Ricky, how are we doing?
1: i oh, great. What's up, Brendan?
0: I'm doing well, man. Thanks for jumping on. I really appreciate it. So, I want to start with kind of what you're up to now. So you are the founder of Heisman is a cannabis brand that sells merchandise and cannabis. I want to just kind of get how this started. Like how did you decide to come up with this company and when did this process come about?
1: No, I told myself as a football player that my goal in life was to get paid for being myself. No, And so really all of the businesses I start are really just an extension of the things that I'm truly passionate about. And you know, and I, I guess we're we're considered a cannabis brand, but that's just one of the things that we do because one of the things that I'm passionate about is is cannabis, and so we're really a lifestyle brand. And lifestyle, in the sense of what I'm saying, is I think our whole message is like find your find yourself and be yourself. And and for me, cannabis was a great tool in helping me find myself. You know, I grew up wanting to be like most people around me, I grew up wanting, you know, wanting to be a professional athlete and I was gifted enough that I had enough talent and drive and to, to be able to do that. But when you make a, like a, a vision of what you want to be as a child, that's coming from the perspective of a child, you know? And so I think as I've gone through certain experiences and I have a better appreciation for what's truly important to me, I've been able to to take all the football success and turn it into into allowing me to live my dream and that's being paid for being myself. And I think at least I'm biased, but I think that's a message that is good for people to hear because if more people make that a target, more people are going to be happy because someone's paying you to be yourself. I guarantee you're going to be happier than you are right now.
0: When did your interest in, I guess, marijuana for medicinal purposes start? Like, When did this all kind of begin in your life?
1: It's funny that like the, you know this is the way we talk about cannabis and and it's the way we have to in order to make it acceptable because yeah. medicinal you know to me really what i'm hearing is when did i like get it because yeah. when i talk to a lot of people regardless of why they think they smoke or whatever when i talk to people and i ask them about the first mm-hmm. time that they really started smoking you know some people have cool stories like i was talking to a, a big time uh, cannabis advocate, uh, Steve D'Angelo. And he said his first time he was hanging out with his friends and he smoked a joint and he walked in the park and he was like, ah, life is better. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's not a, that's not a typical experience. Again, that was a long time ago. That's not a typical experience. Typical experience now is someone is either dealing with a physical injury an emotional, something has got them all tied up and they smoke and they feel better. you yeah? know. They feel better Mm because, you know, like recreational, whatever, whatever. But the reason that people do it so much is not for recreation. It's because it makes them feel better. Of course. And so as soon as I have that like aha moment that this makes me feel better, that's when it became medicinal. Because as a football player, when I'm stressed out and tied up in knots, my body doesn't recover as fast. When I'm feeling good about myself and what I'm doing, I find I heal twice as fast. And so I think this really, you know, and now we're finally starting to study it and be able to put science to it. But the reality is there's something about feeling good that helps helps you be healthier.
0: Mm-hmm. That's medicinal. I think was it uh, wasn't like the 1930s. I think it was the campaign against hemp, basically for hemp to um, – like it was going to take over paper and all those stuff. And it was – I can't remember the, the single guy – who who uh, who ran the campaign, basically pushing against hemp and calling marijuana. Basically, I think it, the term was like people are going to kill their wives. Or there was a big anti campaign against it in the 1930s, which basically has lasted up until when you like even when you were in the NFL in the early 2000s, it was still kind of that stigma around it. So it's evolved definitely, basically since you started playing football.
1: I mean, it's funny because it evolved, but before for it to get to the place for it to evolve, it had to devolve. Yeah. You know? And there was a point before the 1930s that pretty much it, cannabis was the most used pharmaceutical in the country. I mean, it wasn't everything. Mm-hmm. yeah, It wasn't everything. And then like you said, it, it was, you know, I've, I've studied the history a little bit. I won't, you know, I won't bore people with it, but basically what happened is, you know, it used to be pretty much in all medicines. And so doctors used it, you know, all the time. And then they added the tax, right. Where now for a, physician to give someone cannabis they had to pay a tax for it. so that demo that you know the demotivated physicians to to keep it so it started to fall out of favor you know and i'm not saying like this is a conspiracy theory or someone planned to me it's just more interesting of these certain things that happened in history that kept pushing can like pushing cannabis down and down and it's like it wasn't just one thing it was all these different things one on top of the other you know another thing was it started to be associated with with people coming from Mexico and from minorities and people in the jazz scene. And so it started to get a negative stigma in, in that way. And then when Nixon became president, because what happened is in Vietnam, a lot of the, the soldiers in Vietnam they came across cannabis and it was like it was like it made him feel good. And if you're in yeah. a war, something that makes you feel good, right, you're gonna you're gonna like it. And so they they came back to the states. And a lot of them, because of the GI Bill, started going into colleges and universities. And so they the police and the government they had to start thinking about how we can't just throw people in jail for this anymore because now the white college students are the ones that are doing it. And so it started to create a whole nother cannabis community, right? And and then what happens on top of that is Nixon, you know, trying to, to win an election wants to become anti-hippie and anti-minority and what do both groups share ah cannabis and so this is the the early pinnings of the war on drugs Um, and so the history is is fascinating but but i think even more fascinating is how cannabis has made a rebound and this started you know in this country in san francisco where cancer patients you know aids was really big in the 80s in the in the bay area and so you know, AIDS and people were looking for <laughs> people were looking for answers, and this is a group that was outcast, right? And so it created this pocket where a group of people who were finding real benefit from cannabis in a liberal state started to be able to get the laws to loosen up a little bit. And the medical cannabis bill was passed in California, and that op- that just opened the door. And we see the result because all of this sprung cannabis legalization sprung from from medical, you know. And I think at the end of the day. You know, people are going to be saying something similar to what I'm saying is we're going to find the power of actually feeling good. Do you think there's still a stigma around it in sports with athletes? It's funny. It's a stigma, but it's not taken seriously anymore. You know, even when I was playing, if someone says, I don't do that, blah, 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 people will take that seriously. Now you say, I don't do that, blah, blah, blah. People tend to like laugh at you, you know. Because, you know, it's just so it's just so available everywhere. Like, you know, back in the early 2000s when I was in the NFL and I was in trouble for cannabis, you know, it was still like on the DL. You know, it wasn't like even, you know, my my first couple of years in the NFL when I was in the drug program, nobody, nobody on the team knew. Nobody knew that I was a smoker. And it wasn't until I failed another test and it became public that people knew I was a smoker. that's why it was kind of a. It was kind of a surprise but now if you hear someone on the team smokes like ain't nobody really gonna be surprised anymore?
0: What do you want the future to look like with uh, with marijuana in sports? do you want do you think like teams should be pushing their players to be using it for I guess medicinal or feeling well purposes or how do you think it looks in I guess five ten years?
1: Yeah well, I think there's a couple of things that have to that have to happen. I think we you have to allow the you have to take it off this the schedule one list and allow research to be done. Because, you know, we already know that it works, but the research research will allow us to to understand how it works and to be able to create applications that, that more specifically and more powerfully benefit certain populations of people. And the fact that, you know, being on a football team after a game, when the trainer walks down the aisle, he's got his little pill thing and he's handing out Ambien and he's handing out Vicodin. Right. And we know that we... We know the, the the negative side effects of those of those, and right, and so in that sense, yes, you know, definitely. I think that the trainer should have his Ambien and his Vicodin, okay, right, but he also have capsules or something else. You know, CBD for people- as
0: well, like CBD is also like another aspect of it that's has so many medicinal benefits. Yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I'm more of a full spectrum person, you know, but but yeah, I mean, again, CBD I think opened the door. But, you know, I I like one-to-one, you know, again, I think when it's specifically applied to muscle soreness and sleep and the things that specific populations are dealing with, then I think it's going to be easier for the trainer to feel confident that he's doing something that's helping his players feel good. Because part Mm -hmm. of it is we have to realize, you know, we're young and progressive and we, we see the future, but the people in charge, they're from the past, you know, and it takes a while for them to change their mindset. Right. It's funny when I talk to police officers, you know, one of our our, most recent investors in Heisman, you know, he was a he was he made his money busting people for having resin in their pipes. You know, like, you know, if you think of how many people's life he was part of ruining because they had resin in their pipe. Right. And that and, you know, but that was his job. That's what he was paid for. That's what he was trained to do. And mm-hmm. so for now, for him to be willing to invest in, in a cannabis company, it, it's just, it just shows you it's possible, but I think we have to be patient and understand that this kind of change, especially all of the the resources and energy that went into prosecuting people for this, right? That for them, it, it's hard for it to just change overnight.
0: Mm-hmm. From like, you brought up how readily available it is. Like I, I'm from a small town just outside of Toronto. I could throw a rock. If I like there's like a, three... Marijuana stores in a kilometer radius for me now. And it's I feel like I can't believe it wasn't that way back when I was in high school 10 years ago. Like the the progress that is made in Canada from this from the issues that that you're talking about has been off the charts. And I really feel like the U.S. like you brought up electing old people, you guys continue to elect people that just don't yeah. have just don't understand the times it is nowadays, like the average age of every single senator governor is probably in the 70s. Um, and it's just mm. like, again, I think, Amer- I think this, a lot of states can look at the progress. Like I think other states of like Colorado has a progress, California and whatnot. But Canada is almost like a great case study for uh, the the progress in, in cannabis use.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's funny talking to an outsider, you know, someone that's not from America. Like mm-hmm. you have a different perspective, and sometimes when you're an American, you can't really see yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and just this insight of, you know, we do elect like old people that have no idea and not really connected to what's actually going on right now. And you see around around, I mean, a couple of countries, but around the world, you see younger, um, younger leaders younger leadership. And I think Canada is really leading the way in, in that sense.
0: If you're like me, you were tired of trying to find jeans that fit right, no matter your build and still look good. Introducing the newest sponsor of the double Ding podcast, sweat Taylor, a premium menswear brand that is defining a new kind of casual. I started wearing sweat Taylor and I am blown away by how comfortable and affordable the clothes are. And of course they look great. My favorite is the all in pants. It's a five pocket pants that feels like sweats, but look way better. Thoughtfully tailored and unbelievably stretchy, from jackets and pants to joggers and hoodies, Sweat Tailors designs are made to seamlessly fit into your life, moving from runway to office, office to drinks, and drinks to wherever the night takes you. Specializing in casual wear for men, pieces are designed with comfort and versatility in mind for your everyday. Use promo code B D E E G S T. That is B D E E G S T for 25 percent off. That again is B D E E G ST for 25% off your order at sweattailor.com. Okay, I want to talk about, uh, so you were diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. Um, mental illness is something that's really close to my heart um, and has been a, a problem with my family uh, and, and myself. I've dealt with my issues as well. Um, what, like, how did you deal with it? What are you currently using to deal with it? And what advice could you give people that are suffering from social anxiety disorder?
1: know, I, I don't know. I have a different perspective. I think diagnoses are are powerful in the beginning because they 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 give you, they separate you from what's going on. And at least for me, it gave me the sense that, okay, there's something that I can do, you know, but but ultimately in, in my journey, I realized we call it mental illness, but really it's just life, you know? The only reason we call it mental illness is because we have this unrealistic expectation of what things are supposed to be like. I'm telling you. When, when, this is what I loved about playing for Coach Dika, You know? It's like, <laughs> you know, he's talking to me. He was like, when I played, we didn't have high ankle sprains. We just had to go back out there and play. You know? <laughs> 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 now, oh, my God. You know, now people, you know, four to six weeks with the high angle sprain, right? And, and I think the, the sensitivity, you know, that we're more sensitive now, I think that's a positive thing, but when we've lost a certain level of toughness, I think we're losing something. And so to me, it's like if if we're playing the Ravens, right? And I know that, oh no, if we're playing the Steelers, okay, and we decide to do slide protection, which means I'm one on one with James Harrison. Okay. I have anxiety that whole week. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not lying, right? I'm anxious yeah. that whole week, right? But I I don't sit there and pop pills and say I'm anxious, right? I I watch film, I study, I like I, I get my mind right to know that there's a challenge that I have to face, you know? And so I yeah. think for me, like the sensitivity to be present and aware that, you know, the world, you know, is, is like, it hurts to live, you know, people aren't nice. So, so it's important to be aware, but it's also important to be aware that you can do something to like, you can do something about it. And so I think mental illness means that you're alive. You know, and I think people who say they are not mentally ill, I wouldn't want to spend five seconds around that person.
0: It's a great way to look at it. It's a, no, it's great insight. Um, and there's, again, another stigma, like, uh, just attached to it. Um better help sponsors the show i was one of the when i first started the podcast it was one of the first companies i wanted to reach out to, to help because i think it's important to speak up on it it's important to talk about it um and you're one of the ogs of it in sports uh, of just yeah. being honest with yourself yeah. and, and, and acknowledging what you're going through
1: yeah because people talk about it, it it is really destigmatizing. but i think i can go a step further and just say that anyone in life that we <laughs> if you read the like <laughs> If you read any history book, any autobiography of someone who really did something, they're gonna be a part in their life where they had to deal with mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. All of them, all of them, right? So, so it's it's just about having realistic expectations about what life is all about. And life is about being aware of the stuff that makes you anxious and then doing something about it. Let's talk
0: about your football career, Ricky. I want to talk about like the early days. Um, how did you fall in love with football? Like, what was the when was the first time you were on the field and going, okay this is this is me, this is where
1: I belong, this is what I love um you know it's my earliest memory is is playing in the park, you know and I was fast nobody could catch me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so you know I learned I learned early um to get satisfaction to get confidence to get energy from being fast you know? big fast. fast mm-hmm. um, you know in baseball my nickname was wheels you know that was just was uh, that was just my identity I was the fast guy um, and you know I can catch and I'm pretty smart so I can figure out stuff and you put that together you know it really made me a really good football player and I love contact you know its just I think we all are like made of different qualities you know like when you play a video game and you see the attributes I think it's like that in life. And There's certain things where if you put yourself in that situation, it just is a perfect fit for your for your attributes. And and I think football is just one of those one of those things for me. Did you always want to be a running back? I always wanted to be a football player. You know? okay. Um and I, like, I was recruited by a lot of colleges as a linebacker, safety. I just again I just love to run and hit and think, you know, and running back lets you do that, but every position lets you do that except lineman it depends if you're pulling guard you get to do it yeah but yeah running back was a place where i could and i consider myself a versatile i like to do a lot of different things i think running Mm -hmm. back you get to run block pass block run routes run the ball throw the ball sometimes so it was yeah again i think it was just the position that that i my certain attributes really fit fit most flush with
0: so you said um you like to do different things and you brought up throwing the ball there it kind of leads nicely into my next question i believe it was 2006 was the wildcat offense introduction or uh, mm-hmm. it was
1: 2006 correct no it was In- 2000 it was 2000 and um, it was 2009
0: 2009 okay okay a few years before okay Ooh, so 2000- two,
1: 2007 2008 it was 2008
0: 2008 okay so 2008 um the wildcat offense was brought to the NFL, and you were you were a huge part of it. You, Roddy Brown, um, kind of revolutionized football. Explain or tell the listeners, or tell me as well how uh, how it came about, and what was your kind of first thought of it? Like, who drew this up? Whose idea it was? I'm really curious, kind of the, the behind the scenes on this.
1: Yeah, it actually wasn't us. We we brought it to the NFL. But if if people go back, so this would be 2007. If you go back to 2007 and you watch college football highlights. You know, you're gonna see, <laughs> uh, you're gonna see Darren McFadden. You know, yeah,
0: right, yeah, and, yeah.
1: Felix, and Felix Jones. So you're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see, see them doing it. Um, and the the offensive coordinator there, Coach D Lee, um, became the quarterback coach for the Dolphins the next year. And he saw that similar to Arkansas that we had two pretty good running backs, and I think Darren was left handed and Ronnie's left handed, so it was kind of this fit. And our, our offensive coordinator Dan Henning – He's just, he's just like a very open-minded guy that's down to make anything work. Ah, he's—I'm telling you—that's one of the gifts, you know, being able to play for Dan. I was an offensive mind. We had a, we had a lot of fun, you know, just kind of take what we have on the team, the talent we have on the team, and let's find a way to make it work. And what I loved about the Wildcat is there are four running backs, you know, and usually in a running back room there's only five or six guys. We had, you know, a large majority of our running back room on the field at the same time. Um and so in training camp D Lee put it on the board and we kind of walked through it and messed around with it but I don't think anyone really took it seriously. I remember the first time he put it on the board I was thinking because I was in my 30s. So I was thinking oh this is a, this is something I'm not going to be I'm not even going to be on the field, you know? So I kind of started flipping through my playbook. And then he said Ricky you're the wildcat and the wildcat is the one that goes in motion. So I was like oh shit okay I'm, you know I guess I am in on this. And, and so i got i got kind of excited about it because it was all of us on the field at the same time and if we ever did it and it worked it w- it'll be fun for us and so we kind of worked on it in training camp and then we would walk through it a little bit you know and then we got to week three we were oh and two we're going up to new england to play to play the patriots and that wednesday because wednesday is our first day of practice for the week that wednesday d lee said we're doing it and we put in a couple of wildcat plays and we've been walking through it so we were kind of comfortable with it and we walked through it a little bit more and practiced more and we brought it out against new england and they weren't ready for it and we and like, it was ronnie ran for i think 160 i ran for like 98. um so it was it was fun it was fun and we just kept doing it and i think what made us what made it work at least that first year was we spent in half an hour on it every single day in practice and other teams, they don't have the feel, they don't have the understanding of what we're doing, and they don't have the time to properly prepare for it. And so, as long as we felt comfortable and we could execute, it kind of was unstoppable. And, you know, we had pass plays, we had flip plays, we had reverses, uh, and we made it all work. And then it kind of evolved from this, the the double wing, the wildcat, into using Ronnie as a tailback. I mean, as a quarterback. And so there there were certain plays where it was just pony two two tailbacks ronnie would go to the quarterback position and i'd be the fullback and we would just do the the redraw you know he he would give it to me or he'd take off or we even had a we just we got more creative and i think what it did is it opened the door to allowing quarterbacks to, to run more you know Ronnie wasn't a quarterback, but I think people saw, wow, this is really, this is really effective Mm -hmm. and people were actually doing it in the NFL. And you started to see more of the quarterback running the read option.
0: At that time, it was very standard drop back and pass, like power run game. Like you guys completely revolutionized. I remember that Patriots game, like vividly watching it as a kid. And, I remember my dad said to me, like, I, I wonder what Bill Belichick's thinking after the game, because he knows everything, right? He's so good at taking away what's the best on the other team, and you had no idea what's coming.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything we did, every single play we practiced worked that game, worked yeah. for at least 20 yard gains that game. It was that was a fun game.
0: The Double Doing podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is hard. It's especially hard when you don't have someone you can open up to. Not everyone is comfortable talking to their friends and family about their personal matters or anything that is bothering them on a day-to-day basis. Mental health is so important to continued success in this world. Therapy is a great way to regroup and get everything off your chest. Insert BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy service, 100% online. They will match you with professional licensed therapists you can trust. You can talk with your therapist however you see fit, via text, phone call, or video chat. BetterHelp has successfully helped over 4 million people worldwide deal with their day-to-day mental health issues. Use the link in the podcast description to get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. So, Ricky, what you were so successful playing like you a long career. You had Heisman at Texas. So many accomplishments. I personally think the biggest accomplishment or the most impressive accomplishment that you had was running for 1,121 yards at the age of 32. Right now in the NFL, the only starting running back that's over the age of 30 is Raheem Mostert. And he might not, he's 30 years old on the dot. He might not even be the starter. And who knows how many carries he's gonna get. To yeah. rush for over eleven hundred yards at 32, in my opinion, is one of the biggest achievements by a running back over the last 15, 20 years. What would you what do you attribute that to? How were you able to run and keep your body so in good shape at that age?
1: You know what's interesting is I wasn't even the, I wasn't even the starting running back. Um, you know, Ronnie and I were like 1A, 1B, but he was the starter. And so the first half of the season, um, up until week 10, that's how we did And then Ronnie got hurt, I think, week 10, and I started the rest of the year. Um, I just, that year, is funny. You know, I, I, I learned early in my career that in order to play a long time, you got to take care of your body. And before that season, <coughs> I just did a lot of body work. You know, I'm really focused on taking layers of trauma off my body. Found this thing called social—I mean, social anxiety. Thing called a craniosacral therapy, and <clears throat> I did it for like really intensely for two weeks right before the season, and I just felt lighter. I just felt younger, and we were running the Wildcats. So I was get, getting a chance to get a lot of snaps, and then Ronnie got hurt, and I got to take over this, the starting position, and I was able to to utilize the opportunity to to rack up a lot of yards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like again, it's it's um it's a lost art. Like running backs are just kind of a dime a dozen now, and you don't see them uh, succeed after the age of 30. And I guess it's a good transition into my next question. The running back position currently in the NFL is the hottest topic of the offseason. You had Josh Jacobs hold out of training camp. You had Saquon Barkley hold out for a little bit. They couldn't get a contract deal done. Of course, the Jonathan Taylor situation. Ricky, what do you make of what's going on with the running back position currently in the NFL? Well,
1: I think if, if, you know, take a step back and you understand markets, you know, it's what happens in the market. Mm Yeah. And what we've seen in the market is that people have been able to get running back, like to get adequate running backs for for cheap, you know, on average, because the game has shifted. It used to be a running back centered offensive scheme. And now that it's not market for running backs has changed. I, I think the, you know, the unfortunate part, but this is how the market corrects is you have running backs as a, you know, as a position and there's a market for them, but you have superstars. You know, and they're two, they're two separate conversations. You know, I think if you have a superstar, you pay them like a superstar. If it's a running back that hasn't proven they're a superstar, I understand the market. And if you look at <clears throat> the Giants season and, you know, without Saquon, right, they suck again, you know, yeah. with Saquon, they went to the playoffs. And so, for right, if, if they're smart and they say we want to be a successful franchise, okay, Find your superstars and take care of them. Because not only does that help them, but it sends a message to the team that we're dedicated to winning. Yeah. You know? Josh Jacobs,
0: off, like Josh Jacobs led the league in scrimmage yards last year. And he and like Cole Komet is signing $30 million guaranteed deals. It's uh it it's, it makes me insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I think the running, you know, I think they're doing the right thing. I think they have to assert their value. And so people have to see oh, wow, this is hard. You know, we don't have a running game. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it'll make them either let them go to find someone that will appreciate them or appreciate them and take care of them.
0: Who's your favorite running back to watch in the NFL right now?
1: Honestly, I like them all, you know? And for me, my favorite running back to watch is to me is mainly based on the offensive scheme. I think that's the thing. When all the attention is gone to the passing game, we, you've, we're losing the expertise of how to scheme a running game. Because all running backs have talent, but when you find the connection between maximizing the running back's talent and putting them in a system that 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 allows it to flourish, oh, you got something special. And I think a lost art is is scheming the run game. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, you? you're still uh,
0: active in the NFL community. I'm a big Eagles guy. They're a really good rushing team. Do you know it, Jeff Stoutland at all? Like the way he's able to—he's the offensive line coach there. He's like the best run schemer in the league right now. Do you, uh, do you have any takes on that? Like how the Eagles do the run running system?
1: I mean, I love it. And you see, yeah. you see when when someone can intelligently scheme the running game and make it a big part of their game, that it's hard to defend against. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I learned this. You know, especially when you have a mobile quarterback. Remember, I think my yeah. I think it was 2005. We were playing We were playing the Falcons, you know? They had a big running back. They had, they had two big running backs. Uh, now they, uh, they had Duckett, they had Ward Dunn, and they had Michael Vick, mm-hmm. right? And they they were doing things in the passing game, but third down, when they had all these options to run the ball and they had big linemen that could lean on people, like it's it takes your soul away from you in a football game. And I think that's what people don't realize is you can put up a lot of yards, but when it comes down to winning and you can – Take the ball, and run it down a team's throat. Mm, that's a huge mm-hmm. advantage.
0: Okay, so um, I'm from I'm just outside of Toronto, Ontario, in a small town called Ajax. And you uh, you played a season with the Toronto Argonauts in 2006. I was telling you beforehand how um, how excited my family was because my brother grew up a Dolphins fan, and we still like the CFL, um, and we're we're big advocates for it. And we've had season tickets for the Argos for years. Um, I, w- I got to ask you about your time in Toronto. Did you like the city?
1: Oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. You know, it was probably, it's probably a very special time in my life. You know, I, I got a place downtown. Um, my wife and my kids. Kids started preschool there. You know, I, I had some really amazing neighbors. It's, it's a special time in my life. You know, I needed to, I needed to get away from America for a while and, and, like, chill and play football and, like, regain my love for football. It was, it was a great time it was funny when i first got up there i heard this at least five times from people including the media you know it's pop what's the big deal
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i uh i remember my dad being really upset with the joe theismann interview because my dad is a washington fan and he was he was not happy with the with the way he reacted and uh like I, you, you were a superstar here, man. Like you took over the city. Like you were, like the Maple Leafs. Like the Maple Leafs were the, the early two thousands, and they still are the big talk of town. Like Ricky Williams was the star of Toronto, and in a, a, a hockey craze town, it was truly incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love that organization. You know, David Cinnamon. Like everyone, everyone there really took care of me, and I felt like uh, they they made it a special a special time in my life. You know, I I could definitely see myself going back, maybe coaching one day in the CFL.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's – uh, the, the thing with Toronto is, like, you have the Leafs, you have the Raptors, you have the Jays. And so it doesn't have the same, like, the CFL feel in, like, Saskatchewan or, or um, like, Winnipeg is a lot more bigger. Winnipeg, it's, yeah. Winnipeg, it's the only team they got, right? And Winnipeg yeah. is a hockey team now. But back then when you were there, like – the Skatchewan rough riders are like they're crazy fans there like they love that team so i think a lot of americans don't understand like the power of the cfl outside of toronto um do you have like a do you have an interesting toronto story like someone you ran into say something funny to you a nice restaurant you had any any like a, a nice toronto story you can throw,
1: throw away yeah, i mean it really was more personal it was my neighbor um, Arlene, and she was um she was a retired midwife and my wife was pregnant when we when we we moved there and so, you know, one morning, um, like two in the morning, my wife went into to labor, like in the kitchen, you know, and it was like fast. And so we ran and knocked on Arlene's door and she came over and delivered my daughter right in the kitchen, oh on my the God. kitchen floor, you know, so it was cool. It was like, it's really cool. It was like so fast, you know, <laughs> it was- <That's> awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: Canadians live up to their nice name. You know, everyone says Canadians are nice. And there you go. There's a story behind it. Yeah, your neighbor
1: your neighbor delivers your baby. You know? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't get any nicer than that, that's for sure. Um, Ricky Williams, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Man. I really appreciate it. This was an awesome conversation. A little out of my comfort zone with all the with the topics. And I, I'm happy you joined us. This, this was a very awesome talk. So uh, yeah. before you go, why don't you plug in the Heisman, the company that you, that you founded, um, your yeah. social media, anything you want the listeners to, listen to take a look at.
1: Yeah, so um, Heisman, of course, H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N, heisman.com. You can check out what we're all about, what we're doing. Uh, Another personal project of mine that I'm really passionate about is called Lila, L-I-L-A. And if you have an iPhone, check it out on the App Store. Um, It's my creation. You know, a lot of my ideas trying to put out into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was great. And I loved chopping it up with you.
0: If you ever come to Canada, man. Don't be afraid to send me an email. I'd love to meet you in person for sure. Thanks Ricky, appreciate you.
1: Yeah, we'll go burn one, huh? Yeah.